0: africa welcome to the break africa from the voice of america i am james bart in washington today is monday december nineteenth, and here are some of the stories we are covering economic worries and apathy cast shadow over saturday's legislative elections in tunisia most of tunisians are basically not interested in what is happening. Boring because they saw that during the last 12 years of transition, politics didn't bring anything good to them. The deputy chief executive officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation says his agency is excited about its work in Africa. A Liberian human rights campaigner will discuss the message he brought to the just concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, Uganda left Ebola lockdown, South Africa deploys army to power stations amid energy crisis.
1: This is a welcome intervention for ASCOM as it clearly demonstrates that days of malfeasance and nefarious activities
0: will be dealt with by government. And the United Nations marks International Migrants Day. Those stories plus something O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Voted Saturday in the first election since their president, Kai Said, seized far-reaching powers last year. Turnout appeared low and indifference was high for this legislative election, seen by critics as another setback for the Arab Springs only democracy. Lisa Bryant reports for VA from Tunis.
2: Election workers said few voters had cast their ballots by MID-MORNING at this polling station in the working-class Tunis neighborhood of Beb El KHADRA. They included student Malek Bouleg, who won't say who she voted for, but she knows what she wants. We're given a chance. We're given a chance for someone. Like we're gonna give our trust and all, we're gonna vote for someone. But let's say, hope that he can make or she can make a chance. Voter Sadok Hawaji, who was heading to his home in northwest Tunisia to cast his ballot, said he hoped this election will bring stability to the North African country, which has been buffeted by political and economic crises since its 2011 revolution. But he wasn't sure.
0: Kais Saeed is an honest man but he's not a good politician he wants to work but he can't the others are against him
2: more than 1,000 candidates are running for 161 seats in Tunisia's next parliament, set to replace the one President Kais Saied dissolved this year, part of his broader power consolidation that his opponents call a coup. Sayed argues his actions aim instead to deliver clean politics and grassroots representation. Casting his ballot Saturday, he said he hoped this vote would help pave a new history for Tunisia. Under Syed's new constitution passed this year, the next parliament will have few powers and few women. Previous gender and youth quotas for candidates have been scrapped. Analysts say many candidates have little political experience. Some voters interviewed did not appear to know much about them, a sentiment shared by some of Syed's critics. So,
3: on les
4: we don't know pas, who donc, they are. Uh, they have no program. Uh, and this coming parliament isn't representative of those in democratic Aussi, countries. It doesn't do its job. It doesn't
5: propose laws. It doesn't propose profession.
2: Analysts say Syed remains popular. Many of his rivals are discredited for delivering political gridlock instead of economic growth and jobs in the decade since Tunisia's revolution. Syed's opponents say the president hasn't improved things either. On the streets, it's hard to find campaign posters or excitement about this election.
0: That most of Tunisians are basically not interested in what is happening. It's about politics. Politics is a boring matter to them. Not boring because they uh, are not interested per se, but boring because they saw that during the last 12 years of transition, politics didn't bring anything good to them, didn't provide any solution, didn't provide any improvement.
2: Results are expected in the coming days, with a second-round runoff in some races. But that won't answer the larger question about where... Tunisia is heading. Lisa Bryant for VOA News, Tunis.
0: The South African government has stationed members of the armed forces at several of the country's illegal power stations amid rolling blackouts and allegations of sabotage and corruption. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg.
4: Soldiers have been deployed at four key power-generating plants. Vincent Maguena, a spokesman for President Cyril Ramaphosa, tells VOA, saying further deployments will be announced in due course. He welcomed the decision to send in the troops, which comes amid reports of theft, sabotage and vandalism at several plants run by state power utility ESCOM.
1: This is a welcome intervention for ESCOM as it clearly demonstrates that days of malfeasance and nefarious activities will be dealt with by government.
4: Just this week, company CEO Andre de quit, saying it was in part due to the struggle he faced in trying to turn ESCOM around in the face of crime and corruption. South Africa has been mired in an energy crisis for more than a decade, but it has accelerated this year, with the country experiencing regular scheduled blackouts, sometimes for as long as 10 hours a day. Known here as load-shedding, The cuts are meant to reduce pressure on the overstretched grid. ESCOM blames its aging coal fleets and lack of maintenance for the regular breakdowns, which are having a devastating effect on Africa's most developed economy. South Africans have also voiced increasing frustration at the failure of the ruling African National Congress, ANC, to get the power crisis under control. On Sunday, thousands of ANC delegates began voting for the party's top seven membership positions at a party congress in Johannesburg held every five years. Whomever wins the party presidency this weekend goes on to lead the country if the ANC wins national elections in 2024. President Cyril Ramaphosa is vying for the top job against former health minister Zuele Mkhize, who was forced to resign amid corruption allegations over COVID-19 funds. Ramaphosa himself was recently mired in a scandal regarding the theft of a large amount of money found hidden in a sofa at his farm. Last week, he avoided a vote that could have led to impeachment after his party closed ranks behind him. Kate Bartlett for VOA News, Johannesburg.
0: Uganda has lifted the lockdown it instituted in October as a measure to prevent the spread of the deadly Ebola virus throughout the country. The government says it was necessary to lift restrictions, including travel and curfews, after more than four weeks have passed without any new cases. Reporter Mungumi davis Rakarinji has more from Kampala.
1: Ugandan President Yoel Museven introduced the lockdown measures Two months ago in the Ebola epicenter districts of Cassandra and Mwende. Travel from and out of them was banned. And there was a curfew from 7pm till 6am. In a message read by Uganda's vice president, Jessica Alupo, this past weekend... ...the government said it was justified to lift the lockdown.
6: There are currently no cases on admission. Therefore, it is against this background that I am lifting all movement restrictions and curfew in Mubende and Kasanda districts with immediate effect.
1: The country has confirmed at least 142 Ebola cases and 56 deaths. She thanked Ugandans for cooperating in the fight against the deadly outbreak.
6: Though we have registered great success in the containment of this epidemic, I have been told that we still have 24 days to complete the 42 days, which are two incubation cycles. To give us reassurance that the outbreak is under
1: control. Alupo is urging citizens to remain cautious.
6: However, this doesn't mean that the outbreak has ended. We remain on high alert with intense surveillance across the country.
1: She says the government is putting on standby more than 3,500 health workers and will continue mobile testing for Ebola cases. She also says the Minister of Health will continue to work with the village health teams to continue sensitizing the population against the virus. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarinji Kampala, Uganda.
0: You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I am James But in Washington. Today is Monday, December 19. Still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. A deputy chief executive officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation, the MCC, says the agency is excited about its work in Africa. The MCC is an independent U.S. foreign aid agency that was created to promote economic growth open markets, and increased living standards in selected countries. Mahmoud Barr says the MCC is active in 14 African countries. He told viewers Peter Clotty on the sidelines of the just-concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C., that countries seeking to qualify for the MCC must achieve two difficult goals, control corruption and institute democratic rights. We are very excited, and this is
3: because, one... Organically, Africa is at the center of our portfolio. Two-thirds of our portfolio is in Africa. So we have announced and signed our first regional agreement, which is the compact between Benin and Niger. It's going to be the first time MCC is doing a regional compact between two countries, bringing a corridor, the road between Cotonou to Nyame, making it an integrated regional asset. And we are looking forward to seeing that road in the long term reduce the cost of transportation, and benefit the people of Benin and Asia. So what
7: has been the progress report Mm -hmm. of the MCC, particularly Mm -hmm. in Africa? Because I know the MCC is in about 14 African countries.
3: Yes, we are active in 14 African countries, and we currently are managing $3 billion in grant funding. So the progress report is that we are reducing poverty through economic growth, and we are doing this by associating the country partners. We have this concept of country ownership. Do you know that any one of our grants, which on average is $350 million, is implemented by the country. MCC only has two MCC staff on the ground. So we trust our partners to implement the, the compact. Second, we have a very respectful relationship. The, what we call the Millennium Challenge Accounts mm-hmm. and MCC all tend to agree on a principle, on a document. So our report card on what we're doing is very good. Don't take my word for it. Ask the countries. Our countries have always been saying, like, we want more of MCC. The Congress said they want to see more of MCC. We are looking to get more money to do more. But unfortunately, the MCC model is based on a scorecard. Not everybody can get it. And if you want to get it, you have to work on it. And those scorecards are... Independently put together by third parties, and that's what makes it such an attractive tool. So if a country mm-hmm. wants to qualify for the MCC yes. regarding eligibility, yes. what are the benchmarks? What do they need to sum out in order to be eligible? So the MCC scorecard has 20 indicators. Mm-hmm. These are independent indicators. Mm-hmm. They are bucketed in three places, mm-hmm. right? There is the economic freedom, mm-hmm. there is the investing in your people, mm-hmm. and there is the ruling justly. Right. There are two hard hurdles. Out of the 20, you have to pass these two. is control of corruption, Mm -hmm. democratic rights. Mm -hmm. So that's why many countries stumble, right? Again, those are data collected by independent parties like Freedom House. Mm -hmm. How do countries get to the MCC? First, it requires a a political will, an engagement to say, hey, I am going to pursue these institutional reforms and I'm going to engage in this roadmap. So Côte d'Ivoire, Togo, Benin, Many countries have done this and has proven that policy and institutional reform can happen with the backing of the political assets they have or the political will they have. So the key here is to be serious about the work that you want to do. Put together a team that understands what that is. Have the team address the policies that are preventing you from scoring high and concretely address them.
0: Mark Mountbauer is the deputy chief executive officer of the Millennium Challenge Corporation. He spoke with viewers Peter Clotier on the sidelines of the just concluded U.S. Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C. A Liberian human rights and justice campaigner, says the recently concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit, provided an opportunity to appeal to the Biden administration to support the establishment of a war crimes court in Liberia to prosecute alleged crimes committed during that country's long civil war. Liberia's Truth and Reconciliation Commission recommended in 2009 the establishment of a war crimes court. Since then, successive governments have failed to do just that. Adama Dempster is Secretary General of the Civil Society Human Rights Advocacy Platform of Liberia. He tells me the victims of the civil war deserve justice.
8: The back-to-back civil war Liberia fought. More than 250,000 people died. There have not been any form of accountability. Thousands of victims, most especially women who were used as sex slaves during the civil war, have not seen reparations, have not seen redress. No form of accountability has been uh, called to the crimes that were committed in the Civil War. And so we use the occasion to call on the U.S. government to encourage our president, President Wea, because he was one of the presidents that attended this Africa summit with the U.S., so that he could commit to establishing a war crimes court that would prosecute alleged perpetrators.
0: What is the reception to this idea of a war crimes court? here in the United States and in Liberia?
8: In the US where I am right now, our long week intervention that is on Capitol Hill, we had opportunity to visit Congress and had very uh, impactful meetings with a number of congressional offices. And we also had opportunity to be with uh, State Department, the Office of Global Criminal Justice that is the ambassador for war crimes. We met her and of course, After our meeting with her, she was already on her way to release a letter because she visited Liberia in October. And the account of some of the things she had in her letter was giving a reflection on the needs that people expressed on the ground in Liberia that they wanted justice. So that still lives on. People have not seen justice. And of course, that have not been laid to bed. And we also want to see that given that we're going into elections, 2023, to what extent, transparent elections will be done, elections will be guided with our uniforms of violence that will strengthen and give room for people to exercise their human rights when it comes to elections. election. But at the same time, the parade of alleged perpetrators who most of them want to take political positions so they will protect themselves in parliament will also serve as a barrier and promote the culture of impunity because there will be no way you can hold people accountable if those things happen. So our basically in Washington have given us some sense of reflection, some sense of a positive openings that have given us the opportunity to keep the conversation ongoing.
0: Adama Dempster is Secretary General of the Civil Society Human Rights Advocacy Platform of Liberia. He spoke with me in Washington, D.C., while attending the just-concluded U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. The United Nations on the marked International Migrants Day to commemorate the contributions of hundreds of millions of migrants who have faced challenges to leave home for a better life. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva.
5: This year's celebrations occur as increasing numbers of European countries close their doors to refugees and economic migrants from Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Africa. They are taking place as a growing number of migrants from Central America try to cross the southern U.S. border. The United Nations says people do not willingly leave home. It says most of the world's 280 million international migrants have been forced to move by conflict, persecution, desperate poverty, and increasingly, climate change. Many migrants who lack legal pathways take dangerous routes to countries of asylum. Many are exploited, abused, and die along the way. The International Organization for Migration estimates more than 50,000 migrants have died and thousands more have disappeared over the past eight years. IOM Director-General Antonio Vitorino says the world is failing to protect the most vulnerable people.
3: Indeed, the world over, migrants move, often at great risk, for the most fundamental of reasons, to seek a better future for themselves and their families. Behind every journey, There is a person, there is a story, no less valid than our own. This year, to mark International Migrants' Day, I want to pay tribute to all those who have died or disappeared on the threshold of their dreams.
5: World Health Organization Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus echoes these sentiments. He says countries have a legal and moral duty to assist those in distress and provide health services and protection for vulnerable people.
8: In seeking a better life, Many migrants are in vulnerable situations, suffer from poor health and cannot access health services. We can prevent suffering and save lives by supporting countries to build resilient health and care systems that are sensitive, to the needs of migrants.
5: The United Nations says migrants' rights are human rights and must be respected without discrimination. These rights, it adds, pertain regardless of whether people are forced to flee or move voluntarily. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva.
0: It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports and here is something O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, something.
7: Good Monday morning to you two, James. We begin the sport in Qatar, where Lionel Messi crowned his glittering career with victory in the World Cup on Sunday as Argentina beat France on penalties, triumphing 4-2 in the shootout after Kylian Mbappe's heart trick ensured the game ended level at 3-3 following extra time. Gonzalo Montiel rolled in the deciding penalty to give Argentina their third World Cup and prevent France becoming the first team in 60 years to retain the trophy, France owned superstar Kylian Mbappe scored a hat trick, the first in a FIFA World Cup since 1966, but still ended up on the losing side at the Lucille Stadium in Qatar. Mbappe, however, won the Golden Boot Award. Messi got the Golden Ball for his astounding performance as the best player of the tournament. Here are some fans' reaction to Argentina's victory in Qatar.
1: Absolutely crazy. The best World Cup, the best hosting country, the best player, take the World Cup. What more do you ask for? What more, my brother? My heart is is, is finished. I don't have heart anymore. What game is this? The best final, but it's very stressful, very stressful. 2-0, 2-0, I did 2-2, two two, I did three two, three three. What's going on?
5: What's going on? I feel so incredibly blessed, man, to have been, to been here and seen this game. Like, I was just telling my buddy, this is the greatest game I've ever seen in my life. And I don't think it's going to be very hard to watch another game that will ever top this game.
7: And now to athletics, where four-time Boston Marathon champion Kenya's Catherine Ndereba has urged upcoming athletes to run and win clean. The East African country avoided a sanction by governing body World Athletics despite having 55 athletes serving suspensions after committing to spend $25 million over the next five years to combat doping. Ndereba says doping has become a major threat to the growth of athletics in Kenya, hence harsh punishments should be imposed on those involved in the menace
6: whatever has been happening it is a shame it is a shame and unfortunately is uh it's because our athletes majority of them and especially this generation that has come after us they want what we call quick fix.
7: Staying with arthritics, over 600 children from some regions in Uganda took part in the fifth annual marathon organized by Joshua Chiptegi Foundation in Kaptoroa district. Chapter Cheptehi, who is a reigning Olympic champion in the 5,000 meters and silver medalist for the 10,000 meters and also a two-time 10,000 meters world champion from 2019 to 2022, said the annual event has already started paying off by identifying new talent for national and international tournaments. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports, I am Samson Omale in Abuja,
0: Nigeria, it's back to you James in Washington. Thank you, something. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, December 19th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more Africa news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton, in Washington wishing you will have a great week.
7: We're bringing women's voices to the conversation on things that matter to hearts and minds of women.
6: We are here at Kalewe Market, Uganda Kampala, where in this whole market, women are crying out
0: for their situations to change.
7: With strong opinions and expertise on things that impact and
5: change their lives.
0: Here in Kinshasa, campaigns to raise awareness against the spread of coronavirus are common, but getting that information to people who have no access
7: to water, electricity, or money can be a challenge. From right here in the nation's capital to on the ground from all over the African continent. I think a big
6: thing for me is just being able to say that when these protests are happening, uh, does it turn around
7: into policy? We hear your voices, women's voices, our voices, and add your voice to the conversation each week right here on The Voice of America. Check your local TV listings.